My thing was, I always felt that I had to make the difference right now. You know, like, and that bothered me. If I, I didn't want, I didn't want to listen. I guess we've got two ears and one mouth. We should be better listeners than we are talkers. If you're second string, truthfully, you're one play away from being the starter. A separated shoulder, a broken collarbone, a sickness, and now all of a sudden the coach turns and says, hey, it's your turn. And if you had a positive attitude, you step in there and do the job. It's just stay positive. You're one step away. Just keep working, keep working. And if you're good people, like you said, people will see you. Life's a game of inches. I would say this, add one inch to your smile, hold your head one inch higher, and add one inch to your step when you walk. Our lives are often filled with worry and chaos as the media propagates one negative story after another, bringing divide and tension within topics such as politics, religion, and race relations. These stories fuel hatred and confusion while people continue to live in fear. Yet through all this negative energy, many are delivering messages of wisdom and hope, encouraging positive change, and that's something I'm aiming to do. My name is Roger Brooks, and I'm hopeful for our future, but we must be the change and not be a spectator in life, looking from the outside in. For as long as I could remember, I've been fascinated by people's stories. Stories speak to us, and since the beginning of time, the human race has prospered by passing down wisdom told through the essence of story. It's a way for people to aspire to become the hero they know they could be, seeing their higher self through the wisdom of others. What started out as a hobby has quickly turned into my life mission, and as I deliver a new guest each Sunday, I'll aim to prompt the questions you may be thinking, and through the power of listening, I'll allow the guest to speak and articulate their points of view in order to give you the headspace you need to realize your own hero's journey. We are one race. We are one people. Help spread the word about American Real, and together, let's make great stories go viral to inspire, enlighten, and empower those we love and the masses we hope to reach. This week on American Real, we bring you Gary Scott, who is a three-time athlete, coach, educator, and a phenomenal storyteller. Gary has a unique and infectious persona. He's a man of great energy, someone you could chat with for hours, and that's exactly what we did. Gary takes us on his lifelong journey, which has been centered around sports, lifelong relationships, and lessons that he's now passing on to the younger generation. So sit back, relax, as I welcome Mr. Gary Scott. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Gary Scott, three-time athlete. And in 1969, you graduated from Dean Junior College before receiving a full scholarship in football at Northern Michigan University. While there, you competed in football and track, and that is where you met your wife of 48 years, Donna, which you say is the smartest move you ever made. 
You went on to coach at the high school and collegiate level for many years and received your master's degree in health education in 1989. You've ran baseball camps, held uh, football recruiting nights for many years, and have been a guest speaker at numerous sports and school functions. You are also an entrepreneur running Scott's Driving School and have built, built systems for just about everything you enjoy. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger, and thanks for the opportunity to come and visit with you. As soon as I met you, I knew who you were. I know your son, Josh, very well. But as soon as I met you, I could just tell this is a guy that we want to tell your story because you have so much to offer. You have so much wisdom. You have so much experience, and you have so much passion that I wanted to bring you on. And, and first of all, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> I look forward to it. And um, a few years ago, when, just before I retired, 2011, I retired from teaching at Shenango Valley. I was at a conference at the Turning Stone. And while I was at the concert or the conference, there was probably 400 people in the small venue up there. We're sitting, we're all health education teachers, phys ed. This is April. This is maybe April, and I'm retiring in June. And all of a sudden, the uh, person comes out, and it was Dr. Paracone from Maine Endwell, was the keynote speaker. I'm sitting in the audience with everybody. He steps out on the stage, and he says, everybody, good morning. He said, my name is Dr. Paracone. He said, I'm a health education teacher at Maine Endwell. And I got a question. We're all phys ed teachers, health ed teachers. Yes. He said, can I ask you a question? Why do you teach? I go, geez, I've been doing this for over 40 years and nobody asked me that question. So I thought, and I took a piece of paper and I wrote a little note. Now I'm re gonna retire within a month. And I wrote a note down. About a half hour goes by, he did his keynote speech, did a great job. And then he looks out in the audience and he stares right at me and he goes, excuse me, sir. And I said, yes, sir. He says, I asked a question a while ago. Why do you teach? I said, yes. Finally, I took a note in something. Okay, I'm prepared. And he goes, why do you teach? And I said, to make things easier for other people. He looked at me and he said, what'd you say? I said, I do what I do to make things easier, to help make things easier. And that's kind of where I am as everything I do I like to make it easier for other people. Not always my wife, but I try to, or maybe my immediate family, but I try to make things easier on the things that I do. I love that. And really, if you think about it, that's really what teachers are there for. How do you pass on that knowledge to make it easier for me? And I think about that when, you know, my daughter's in high school, my son's in middle school, and they have really good teachers, and they have teachers that they, you know, some that they really don't care for. And I think about my schooling and, and the same thing. And it was those teachers that made it easier and fun for us to learn that you, you attract to. And I'm really glad that you, that you talked about that. Well, I like to publicly thank the people. When I was a youth growing up in Oneana, I'd like to thank all those people. And I have before in my own little way about how patient they were and how they saw in myself, my fellow classmates, my friends, my family members, hey, we see something in him, we see something in her, and they stayed with us, even though we didn't know at the time what it was, but I just thank them for uh, allowing me to experience their patience and their perseverance on making sure we all do pretty well. Sure. So let's go back to the young Gary growing up. Right. When you were a kid, you loved sports, Right, and obviously you, you, you participated in all the sports, but tell us about 
your upbringing? What was that like? What were your What was your family life like? What was okay. school like? Tell us about it. Bring All us right. back to those days. Um, interesting comment. Just a week ago, New Year's, two weeks ago, New Year's Day, I'm at a party up in Oneana at a, an attorney's house, Joe Keogh, who went to school with me. And he asked me in his kitchen, was sports hard for you? And I said, what? He was not an athlete going through. He says, was it difficult? And I looked at him. I said, that's another great question. I said, no, it wasn't difficult for me. Um, I feel that sports, if you're a parent, sports involvement will be the best days of your life. And it'll be some of the toughest days of your life if you have a loved one involved or if you're involved. But for me, there was never any pressure. I like that question he asked. There was never pressure put on me. We did what we did. When it was baseball season, we played baseball. When it was football season, we played football. When it was basketball season, when it wasn't, we fished. We did what it, we caddied at the country club down there. So sports for me were basically always just fun. And another thing, it was what you did. I mean, that's what we did. It wasn't, I had to think about it. Well, it's football season in the fall. You just naturally so you go just into that next. Into it. Sure, sure. And we played. There wasn't a lot of pressure on us to be up playing three different sports during one season and travel here and travel there and have to be on travel teams. I didn't experience any of that. The other thing that I didn't experience, if you looked at me and said, Gary Scott, who's the best running back in high school that you knew? I would look at you and I would go, well, there was Ronnie Cower. There was uh, Lee Gill. Carl Gill, Billy Wilsey, Pete Haddam. I'd never say me. And I think about this, and that's just Oneana I'm talking about. I didn't know the 14 schools down here in the Southern Tier. I mean, when if, you, if I ask you who was the best running back you ever knew, you would go, well, I guess I'd have to go with Bobby Campbell from Vestal. But there's 14 schools you compared. Me, I just knew Oneana, 16,000 people, and that's who we compared. Who's the best basketball player? Well, that was Vic Ronovich, <laughs> okay? We didn't have to compare where we were. So that was easy. My dad wasn't politically geared. My mom was beautiful. So no pressure was ever put on me that I had to perform, that I had, didn't, had to do this or I had to do that. It was just everything we did, we did for fun. And uh, we put our faith in the coaches. We put our faith in people. I know our parents put faith in people that were educating us. And my dad would say it. He says, I'll be his father. You be his teacher and coach. Okay. And we'll, don't, we'll keep those separate. Okay. So that's how it was for me. Um, as I went through, I can remember some neat stories. I can remember some people that really helped me, which is why it's important. I can remember one time, I don't know right or wrong, but we were having an inner school track meet when I was in the sixth grade. And they brought Valley View, Center Street, Riverside. They brought all the elementary schools together and I was at Greater Plains. Well, we're having track meet. Well, we run the 60 yard dash, okay? So they had heats. Then what they did is they took the winner of each heat and put them in the championship. In my heat, I fell down. At the start, I tripped, fell, got up, I came in second. Wow. They had a meeting. What are we going to do? No, I didn't know this. What are we going to do? And they go, what do you mean? We take the five winners. They go, wait a minute, he came in second. He's not a winner. And somebody says, he fell down and came in second. He'd have won that race. And they said, but he didn't. They got together and made a decision. They let me run the race. So you think, well, is that a good thing? No, but it was the right thing, I think. But it important moment, out of, An important moment. So they let me run it, okay? 
Uh, I can remember being in ninth grade. I played football. I played in one game, modified ninth grade football season. The last game, it was a Norwich game. So the 10th grade year, I went out in high school. This is just only on again. And I quit football. And I ran cross country. All right. My junior year, my buddies all played football. I went back out. Well, they put me on the JVs. I was a junior varsity football player as a junior in high school. That's unheard of. That doesn't happen. All of a sudden, we had a game against Sydney, and I can remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting on this uh, telephone pole that delineated the parking lot up in Sydney School, where I eventually taught. And I'm sitting down taking my spikes off, and the official comes over, and he said to our coach, Mike Zagata, who was in charge of the DEC for a while, he said, could I talk to one of your players? And Mike Zagata said, sure, who do you want to talk to? He points at me and I'm just sitting down. He comes over and he says, young man. And I said, yes. He said, my name is so-and-so. I've been refing football games for 22 years. And he says, you put on the goodest performances I've ever seen today out here. Nice job. Well, Mike Zagata goes back, tells the varsity coach, you better look at this little sucker. He can play. <laughs> so they moved me up on the varsity the last four games. I returned punts and kickoffs. The next year, I was in the backfield. The following year, or that year, I was in the backfield. I wasn't the best back. I just played. I go to Dean. Nobody was beating the door down. I was 5'11", 6'1", 167-pound running back. Nobody's knocking the door down with no credentials. So I go to Dean College because of a friend of mine, Tony Drago, who used to be the athletic director at Oneana. He said, Gary, don't go far away. I got a friend who's the head coach at Dean, let me call out there for you. Well, I go out to Dean, travel out there, I go, I get there, and I'm second string. Okay, who, who knows, just it was fun. I'm second string, we played Boston University, BU, when they had football. They beat us awful, okay? Well, I'm second string. The next game, the starting running back runs the ball eight times and picks up one yard. That was what he had for the day. The coach comes up to me and he says, hey, Scott. And I said, what? He said, learn that halfback spot. I said, I already know it. He says, you're starting Saturday. We played a team called Quonset Naval Academy. They weren't as good as we were. We beat them. I had a good game. Consequently, I became the starting running back for the rest of the season. Now, had I started against BU and had one yard rushing and the other kid Sure. Played, it might have never got a chance. Yeah. So it makes me think about, uh, oh, makes me think about opportune moments. Right. You know, you get these chances in our lives. And that's what I was just going to say is there's a lot of lessons in there um, that, that you just talked about. Even going back to when you were in sixth grade and coming in second. Um, but it sounds like you, you have a very positive outlook and positive attitude, even if you weren't the starter. You were still willing to put in your work to, to earn your spot. Is that, is that, do I have that right? Yes. And you know what? That's a great question because even now around here, you'll say somebody on a team, any team in our area will have a great player on the team. Let's say basketball season, great basketball player. And all the coaches come to see him. Now, my attitude in a situation like that to a parent or to another, if I was the coach, I would say, listen, don't be upset. Your comment about, you know, it's a team sport and it's not all about one guy on our team and you got to, some people get disenchanted. I'd say, hey, listen, 
if they're coming to see him and you're good, they'll see you too. Just keep playing. Be happy people are in the stands. So you don't get your nose bent out of shape. So me, you just played. You did the best you could. And Yeah. And what's great about that, actually, you know, for parents that might be listening too, is that, you know, that coach may be there to see that one kid, but that coach has a network of, of people that he may say, hey, I'm taking this kid, but you may want to look Get at down this there. guy. Right. So you never know your opportune moment, so yeah. never turn it off, right? No, you can't. Um, I was coaching baseball at Oneonta High School, and Dick Rockwell was the uh, head baseball coach in Syracuse at, uh, I'm trying to think of the college, uh, Lemoyne. Yeah. And we came down to play Endicott with Ed Foley. Geez, you don't find a better sure. baseball program than Great Endicott. Guy. Yeah. And at the end of the game, the coach, Dick Rockwell, comes up to me, old school coach. He says, coach, can I talk to one of your players? And I said, who would you like to talk to? And he said, I'd like to talk to your right fielder. And I said, fine. And he said, can I tell you something? I said, what do you need? He says, I came down here to watch another player on the other team, but about the second inning, I realized I was looking at the wrong kid. And I said, fantastic. So that's just, just keep working. Just yeah. keep hustling, keep listening, be coachable, you know? And, uh, and be ready when that chance comes. Uh, another learning thing, if you're second string, truthfully, you're one play away from being the starter. A separated shoulder, a broken collarbone, a sickness, and now all of a sudden the coach turns and says, hey, it's your turn. And if you had a positive attitude, you step in there and do the job. Just like we see in the NFL with Foles and uh, last year, you know? That's right. And uh, it's just stay positive. You're one step away. Just keep working, keep working. And if you're good people, like you said, people will see you. Sure. You know? Let's talk a little bit about mindset. When you were, when you, were a, a, you know, in high school or even younger and then going, you know, through college and playing, um, how important was it for you at that time, your mindset? Were you someone who visualized being a winner? Were you someone who visualized, you know, winning that game before it happened? Or were you just living the moment, playing the best you could? You know, how important was mindset at that time? Living the moment, playing the best I could, knowing and honestly believing that I was coached by some of the best coaches there were. When I went to Northern Michigan, um, I think you and I talked about this briefly, but when I was at Dean, we played, we talk about it. My buddies like this, John Merrick that I talked to you about. We'll talk about why we played. We had fun. Okay. I mean, we played, we played hard and we were in college. We were still going to go to the dance or have our party at the motel at the end of that night. And we worked hard. We played hard and we always figured that somebody would pick us up. We knew, Hey, if I was having an off day, somebody else would do a good job. So then when I went to Northern Michigan, I was at Dean and we had a good team. I wouldn't say a great team. We had a good team. I was surrounded by good coaches. Well, Nobody, again, was knocking the door down. I was at a junior college. I played those two years. Nobody's beating the door down. All of a sudden, our head coach says, hey, I got a phone call from Northern Michigan University. I didn't know Northern Michigan from anything. The Upper Peninsula, Michigan, right on Lake Superior, Marquette, Michigan. I got a phone call. They're, they're interested if we have any running backs that may go up there. They need a back. You want me to send some film? I said, yes. The coach sent film. About two weeks later, I don't know the exact date, the coach, there were no phones in the dorms. There was one in the lobby. It was all it was, and we all shared it. 
He said that the coach from Northern Michigan is going to call me at a 9.30 on a certain day. And I said, okay, I stood there and I waited and I waited. All of a sudden the phone rang. And I picked the phone up and the man on the end of the phone goes, Gary Scott. I said, yeah, person to person, I think was an operator call back then. Gary Scott, go ahead, Coach Novak. Well, Frank Novak was my coach, that coach. He said, Gary, and I said, how are you, Coach? He said, listen, we're going to do something. I said, what are we going to do? We're going to offer you something. And I said, what are you going to do? He says, we're going to give you room, board, books, fees, tuition. We'll fly you out here if you think it's necessary to see the school. And if your mom and dad want to come, we'll help them too. I said to Coach Novak, I said, Coach, I'll be there. There's a pause on the phone. He goes, you'll what? I said, I'll be there. He said, hold it. You're coming to Northern Michigan? I said, if everything you just told me in this phone call is true, I'll be there tomorrow if you need me to. Well, we started, and then I went out there, and I can remember getting there, and they needed to write half, and they, we were good. We flew to Tampa, Texas, Utah. We played Division II football, but it was North Dakota State. It was Akron. It was Weber State out in Utah. It was uh, North Texas. Texas State, that type of schedule. And we were good. And I can remember going out there and I stood and I look, I get out of the flight, fly into Marquette, Michigan. And I'm looking over Marquise Hall. Everybody's hugging everybody. Everybody knows everybody. I'm by myself. I look up over the, the dining facility and I say, okay, wait a minute. What am I doing here? I, and it was the same day I got there. I said, what am I doing here? I said, I belong in Oneonta, New York. That's my home. Then I stood and I looked over that building all by myself and I said, well, if I stay, I'll play. But do I want to stay? I looked over that thing and thought for a minute and finally said, I'm staying. Went back in, never had a thought in my life of leaving that school again. I had great coaches. I had, uh, they helped me forever, you know, in, uh, then I met Donna up there, but that was a that was a real good. And our head coach was um, Coach Dodge. He was the head coach. He was a football coach for five NFL teams. Wow. Um, and he was coached at Missouri with Dan Devine, and he was just a great guy. And he would do anything he could to help you. And something that he had that you oh the uh, maybe all the nice things in my life that have happened because other people helping me and work, you know, I guess working hard and doing things you had to do. One of the things, the nicest compliment, compliment I ever had, I was coming off the practice field. I was fourth strength at Northern Michigan, all right? And no, I was third strength. If they had four strings, I'd have been fourth. They paid, the scholarship was $2,200 for two years, $1,100 a year, okay? So, no, 44, 22 a year, room, okay? okay? It was 4,400, two years. So, all of a sudden, the coaches are screaming, we're getting nothing out of our right halfbacks, absolutely nothing. Well, I took my helmet and I went out and I stood behind them. All of a sudden, Frank Novak turns around, he says, what do you want? And I said, coach, I'd like to play. He goes, go sit down, I'll call you. I went over, knelt down. Pretty soon he looks up at me and he goes, come on, for God's sakes, we got $4,400 wrapped up in you. Let's see if you can play. Well, I go in the, I don't hardly know the plays. They ran an isolation play where they gave it to our two-time All-American tailback and I had to lead through and block the linebacker. Well, most of the time I did what I had to do hard. I don't know if I always knew where I was supposed to go. 
I wasn't that cerebral type of kid, but I know I was going through there. Well, all I'd heard about since the day I got on that campus was Mike Scrocky this and Mike Scrocky that. Big middle linebacker with a silver tooth right here from Amherst, Mass. One of my fraternity brothers, buddy of mine. Well, they called that play and I went through the line of scrimmage. They gave it to the back, other back. We had a collision. He told me not to do that again. And he screamed at me, the linebacker. And you know, we had our little confrontation there. Well, I went back to the huddle and he's screaming, pointing his finger as I hustled back to the huddle. Our head coach came in the huddle and he goes, run that play again. I said, I know he's gonna be there this time. We went through and we had contact. David Ripmaster, our fullback, stepped on my back, dove in the end zone. Mike Scrocky kicked at me, pointed his finger, and I got up and turned and looked at him. I said, hey, if you can't take that, you probably ought to go right over there and have a seat. Those coaches went absolutely crazy. I don't usually say a word. I said, but go over there. Well, we were, we were real good buddies, but I ended up being their right halfback from that point on for two years, you know. And it's that initiative again, right? You have to, you, not only do you have to put yourself out there, and, but, but it's times like that where you have to take a little bit of risk and put that helmet on and, and step up next to the coach and tell yeah. him I'm ready, right? Yeah, and when you get that chance, if Mike Sprocky had, if I, well, I'll give you the other part of this. That's, I blocked. The coach asked me if I could run the ball. Well, we had a defensive end named Dougie Peterson that was unbelievable. They gave me the ball on a sweep. I cut it inside. Dougie Peterson slipped, and I scored, okay, in practice. It wasn't any big deal. But I became, if Dougie Peterson, if Mike Scrocky had buckled me at the line of scrimmage and Dougie Peterson didn't slip, I'd still be third string at Northern Michigan. And it was just that time came when get ready because in your lives, in Michael's lives, everybody's lives, that time's coming. Sure. Be ready. Yeah, you know? be ready. So how do you remember all these details? I mean, how long ago was it? Well, Don, that was uh, 69. That's the year I was born. So how do you remember the details? Don laughs and says that I can remember what I wore to school in first grade, but I can't remember what night's recycle night. <laughs> he goes like this. Right. You know? Well, I started to tell you what the, the most prideful thing was. When I was at Dean, I had a friend of mine. His name was Robert Pina. He was a Cape Verdean kid from Falmouth, Mass. He was 6'2", 250 pounds. He was, a code, he was an All-American for us. Went to UMass on a full scholarship, okay? Ended up getting drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the fourth round, started for him. My fullback at Dean was Al Davis, and my roommate was George Rotolo from uh, Massapequa. Well, when Northern Michigan gave me a scholarship, they didn't recruit those other three guys. Well, when I was walking off the field after that scrimmage, the coach asked me to meet him in his office. Now, this is God's honest truth. Meet me in the office. I said, okay. We went up to the office. He looked right at me and he said, who do you know that knows how to play this game? And I said, I got three people that I'm thinking of. He said, who? I said, Robert Pina, Al Davis, and George Rotolo. And he said, where are they? I said, what was that, UMass? Al's back in Corning working on his dad's great farm fruit farm and George is at Hofstra he said come up to the office let's call him call Al Davis I said can he play I said yeah he can play he was our fullback I was tailback 
because call them on the phone. I called them from the coach's office at Northern Michigan. They said, did you graduate from Dean? What's your grade point average? Can you get us a transcript? Al Davis goes, I can do that. And he says, we'll offer you a full scholarship. Al Davis goes, coach, I'm gonna, I can't. I'm engaged to a girl in Corning and she's going to Corning Community College. I'm working on my dad's fruit farm. He said, if you'll come out here, we will give you a full scholarship and we will pay your girlfriend's tuition. And he goes, and we became friends. He passed away, but we became friends and he was married and to that woman. And then he ended up passing away a couple of years ago. But every time we got together, he said, I kicked myself in the fanny because I probably should have taken that shot. But, but that was a real good compliment. They didn't, sure. they just said, tell me who you know. Wow. You know, and I said, okay. Yeah. Would things like that happen today? I mean, would, would, with all the different rules and regulations? No, I don't think I don't they think can. So, right? I think, uh, I'll give you another, my first teaching job. We didn't, um, I had a full scholarship and, it, and I was married to Donna my junior year, senior, my senior year. And the money that they gave me was just enough to cover, it was $95 a month. It was just enough money to cover our apartment. We had a 1963 Dodge convertible that was my wife's back then. And I had a job interview at Livingston Manor from Marquette, Michigan. Well, I don't have any way to get to a job interview. So I decided I'm going to hitchhike. Well, Donna's, my father-in-law, stepfather-in-law, Donna's stepdad, says, he worked for Chrysler. He says, if you can get a ride to Detroit, he said, which is eight hours south of Marquette, he says, I'll get you a Chrysler car. You can take the car from here to your job interview. Well, I get on the phone and I have my job interview set up on a Friday at Livingston Manor down on 17th. Well, as before I left, I called Mr. Drago, Tony Drago, the old athletic director at the high school. I said, Mr. Drago, this is Gary Scott. I'm going to be in the area. Do you have any job at Oneana that I could interview for while I'm there? Just in case, I'd love to come back there and work. He goes, no, he says, Gary, we don't have anything at Oneana, but I think you got the job at Sydney. I said, no, that's impossible. He said, why? And I said, I didn't apply for a job at Sydney. He goes, no, but I think you got it anyways. <laughs> I go like this. I go, do you think, can things work like that? I don't think anymore. I went to Sydney, interviewed all day with three or four different people, took a bus trip of their little school district. The superintendent offered me the job at the end of the day. And his comment to me was, you ready? He says, Gary Scott, if you're hired by the Sydney school district, he said, would you be willing to live in our school district? I said, yes. He said, would you be willing to coach three modified sports? I said, yes. He said, would you be willing to teach elementary physical education at Sydney Center in Masonville? I said, yes. And he said, would you be willing to come to work for $6,800 a year? I said, yes. He stood up and he said, welcome to Sydney. Wow. And now, would that ever happen? Could a, could a superintendent look at me now and say, will you coach three sports if you can't? If you won't, you don't get the right. job. Yeah. That stuff doesn't happen anymore. Sure, you sure. Know? And Interesting. Uh, so that was your first job. Out that was out my of first job. Wow. And so that that started your path into uh, being an educator as well as coaching. Right? Yep. I taught kindergarten through sixth grade phys ed. Yep. And I had more fun than they did. You know. So, and then uh, then I went to oh I was on vacation in Michigan, and the phone rang at the cabin and said that there was a job opening at Oneana if I was interested to, in, in it to apply. 
and they hung the phone up. So I found out more about the job, I, and I went to Oneonta for two years. Then I went to Dean. I went out to a football clinic, and I, went, I stopped at Dean College to say hello, and now I'm a teacher and a coach. Two weeks later, they called me up and said, hey, would you like to come to Dean and interview for a college phys ed position plus be our head football coach? And I said, I talked to Donna, and I said, I'd love to do that because I like Dean. So I went back out. I got that job. I was 25, and I didn't know whether the football had cotton or air in it at that time. I honest to God, I didn't. I knew what it took to play, but I, I'm going to go from a junior varsity high school coach to a head college football coach. And I remember one day, the offensive center, we were doing PATs pregame, and uh, we're doing PATs, and the, cap, the uh, center turned around, and he looked at me, and he goes, Coach, where do you want me to put the ball? Well, I didn't know if it went on the two-yard line or the three-yard line, so I just looked at him and says, stop talking and put it where it belongs. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> he made up to put it up. I go back and look up and figure it out, but so many things that, and I had great kids there, okay? And uh, we had some success, and then three years I spent there. I was also the varsity baseball coach there for two years. While, while, while coaching football, football as well? Yeah. And then um, I wanted to take another step up coaching, so I went to Lafayette. I interviewed down at Lafayette, and I got the job as the offensive backfield coach. And that was a tough one because I was a back, but I had to coach quarterbacks. And I think that it was pretty stressful for me. But more importantly to me was it was stressful for a head coach who was a great man. And I was in a position where I don't think I helped them as much as somebody who was a quarterback. I'm just a 192-pound running back. I wasn't, I didn't read secondaries, and I didn't understand how to call blocking schemes at the line of scrimmage, and I never ran option football in my life, and here I was stepping in that school like Lafayette with kids that are, you know, anywhere from 1,200 to 1,400 on their SATs, all good athletes, and they were great kids. They knew that there were certain things that I was real strong with, and there were things that I didn't understand, and they never once threw that in my face, and that's hats off to them, too. Wow. But So how, how difficult is it coaching football? I played baseball, so I understand baseball. There's a lot of complexity in that game as well. But it just seems with football, there's so many positions and so many specialties and so many different aspects to the game. You come in, you're 25 years old, you know, it rightfully admit that you didn't know everything. I'm sure you learned a ton, but how difficult is it to coach that game? You want me to tell you something else? The year before, this might want to, we can talk about this maybe. The year before, they had a young man killed on the football field when I wasn't there. He had non-detected mononucleosis, and he had a uh, liver, kidney, kidney explode on the operating table. They dropped the season. Second game into the season, they dropped it for the year. The next year is when they got a hold of me and said, look, you're from, you went here, would you be interested in resurrecting this? I went out and took that team that year with some of the same players. And the neat thing about it was the kids that were there to transfer, like my big buddy that was with the Browns and another buddy of mine that went to UMass, Harry Schwartz, as a free safety, they all left. Not those guys, but guys that went there to build credentials and get a scholarship when they dropped the, the they season left. they left they went sure. to different schools Yankee Conference because they wanted to play they wanted to play yeah. 
Well, the next year, I come back in the door with no recruiting. They hire me in the summer, no recruiting, and players that were on that team that were friends with that kid that lost his life. And we put it together, and we, because they had to scramble to put a schedule together, we had six games. We won four of them with those kids. And then the next year, we had some pretty good recruits come in, and then we ended up doing, doing okay, you know, Wow. Throughout there. So is it difficult? Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, I have a friend, Tommy Hager, who now lives in Indianapolis, Indiana, was a coach at Sydney. He is so smart football wise. Like he took the defense and we got along him and I. So there's certain things that I had to learn. And there were people that were patient. And I guess everything that we did was better maybe than it, what they anticipated. So it worked out perfectly fine. But there is so much and hats off to the coaches today and Hats off to the people that understand everything, the technology even. Now, with like what you have set up here, with games, with scouting, with uh, all the, the rule changes, it's it's not easy. Hats sure. off to all those coaches sure. that do that. Who did you look up to when you were young? Who are, you, who are your heroes, would you say? My dad. That's 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 serious there. Um, Why? Uh, he had a way about him that, first of all, uh, do you remember back in the early 90s, they had Michael Jordan's hands in the center of Sports Illustrated? Yes. On the center? Yes. Well, my dad's <laughs> hands were the exact same size as Michael Jordan's hands. Michael Jordan's middle finger was longer. We talked about that. We joked about it. My dad was real sagacious. I thought my dad was real wise. All right. Um, he said that his education came from the pool room, the service, and the movie theater. Okay, That's Service meaning church? Military. Oh, military. Military okay. service. And so I had a lot of respect for him. And Dad was 6'2", 220, built like Jeff, Josh, and I, but bigger. And uh, not political. Would come to the games. He sold appliances for grants. Uh, he was FBC Family Bargain Center. I don't know if you remember. Sure. All right. My dad worked there as assistant manager. But my dad would come to the games, put his coat over his lap, watch the games, tell me nice job the next day. And, you know, I hustled and did what I could do for him. But um, how he was with me, one day, the, right before I went to Dean, okay, I'm sitting in my backyard. I'm renting the apartment where I grew up. My grandmother lived downstairs. My mom and dad and our family lived upstairs. Grandma passed away. Dad went downstairs. I got the job in Oneana. I rented from my dad upstairs. Well, dad didn't want me to go. He's got Josh and Jeff. He's got me. He's got Donna. He doesn't want us to leave, but he's not going to tell me not to go. So I'm in the backyard, and I'm sitting in a lawn chair, and I honestly, I'm having iced tea, and I got a book. I'm Graves' book of the 52 defense. I'm looking at it. My dad comes across the lawn, and he goes, Gary, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading this book on defense, just trying to get partially ready. He goes, why don't you do me a favor? I said, but he says, close that book. Okay, I close the book. He looks at me, and he goes, you know what I'd do if I was you? I said, what's that? And he said, anytime you have to make a decision, anytime you're put in a spot, he says, you know Coach Dodge, Raleigh Dodge, that you're so proud of at Northern Michigan? I said, yes, Dad. He goes, you know what I'd do if I was you? I'd think about what he would do in this situation. I said, okay. 
good advice. And then he said, hey, then think about what you think should be done. Combine those two. You'll never be wrong. I said, thank you. That's how he was. Um, when I went away to college, his first question was, do they block for you? And I go, yeah, they're pretty good. He said, if they don't, come home. And he always said, don't work. You got time to work. He knew that's the psychology he used. He knew I was going to go to work every day in the summer as a kid. He knew that I wasn't going to come home because my teammates didn't block. But he always let me know that you come right back here if you need to come back here. Wow. You know? So that was, that's how you know, I admired him. Um, he also told me, uh, I don't think I said this, but when I played, what was really neat, when I played that second game against Dean, and I ended up starting that game, yes. and we had a good game. I called him every Sunday. I called him from the phone booth in the dorm. I said, Dad, guess what happened? And he told me, and I said, this is what we did. We won 21-7. Something happened here. This happened, and he goes, good. And then he said, hey, hold on. And I said, what's that, Dad? He said, remember this. If you're good, if you are good, meaning me, he says, you've got me, you've got your mom, You've got your sisters, you've got your coaches, you've got your teammates, you've got the officials, you've got your girlfriend, you've got your opponents. You've got all those people to tell people how good you are. The minute you have to start doing it, something's wrong. And I said, thank you. Which brings me to another point with uh, being a young athlete now. Or if somebody else is doing well, tell them a nice job. Don't get upset because they're good. When somebody makes a great pass, Tap your hat, tip your hat, tap your head, point at them, nice pass. You know, somebody makes a nice shot, tell them. Tell them they're on your team. Everybody's here for the same, the same reason. So some people get a little afraid to build somebody up because they think it lets them down. You know, it doesn't. You know, if you're nice to somebody, that's two people that are happy. You and that person you were nice to. Exactly. Know? And I think what happens naturally is once you start doing it, and I think this is a good lesson for life. Once you start encouraging people, helping people, offering to be of service in some way, it comes back to you. And it comes it back does. 10 times it does. over. It does the world back. opens up. Yeah, it does, you know? so it does come back. The earlier you could learn that life lesson, yeah. I think the better. Yeah, I, I totally, well, just like you doing this with me today, you know, when you were meeting me, and it was kind of neat too. You, you talk about first impressions, you know, to you, they're so important. And when I met your son, Roger, he came into the kitchen and we shook hands. And I looked at you and I said, he's got a nice firm handshake. And you said, we've been working on that. And you think about it. Um, I'll say things sometimes when I was teaching about making a good first impression. And some people will immediately say, well, see, that's where it's wrong. I'm not trying to make an impression. And I go, well, if that's the case, you just did. Yeah. So. Send that message that you want to send. Um, I also believe that coaches are supposed to be there to, to tell you to slow down. They're not supposed to tell you to go faster. You're supposed to go faster. We're the ones that are supposed to look out for your safety, that you don't overdo yourself. Instead of saying, hurry up, hustle, run, don't turn yeah. your back on the ball. God, sakes. I should be telling you, you okay? Yep. Yeah, I'm good, coach. You want to come out? No, I'm good, okay? I should be telling you to slow down, not speed up. You know, but so a lot of a lot of people have there's good coaches out there and there's bad coaches. I mean, it's great to have a good coach. You've, you've done this your entire career. What does what advice would you have for a parent or the athlete that just doesn't have a good coach? 
or there's not there's not good chemistry. Okay. What do they do? All right. I would say this is a great life thing too. My opinion is if and it doesn't just have to be coaching. It can be a boss. It can be a teacher in the classroom. It can be a coach on the field. There's people that get paid money and have that responsibility to make sure that people that are in other positions do their job. It's their responsibility. So when my child comes home and said, I go, how was school today? Fine, how was English? English was real good, but there's two kids in there that give the English teacher trouble all the time and they disrupt the class. My first question or yours would be, you're not one of those, are you? And you're, no, okay, well, don't worry about it. There's a principal, there's a superintendent, there's a department head, whatever protocol it is, to come in and evaluate that teacher. There's people there that get paid, that's their responsibility. And the problem is when people have, when it doesn't get taken care of, and people have to stick their nose into things that doesn't belong to them, that's when the trouble starts. That's when the chirping starts. So, so if your child's in that situation, yeah. what does the parent do? Does the parent make that phone call? Very good. Now, here's the thing with that. My opinion, the parent has a responsibility to their child if it's welfare, safety of their kid. They have to make a phone call or contact whatever they think, but the child does not know. have to know they did it. That's the worst thing in the world. I'll go up there tomorrow and I'll show that school district who's the boss. Now the poor kid goes to school, the parent comes up. Now, if the person that they were in disagreement with, if that person changes because they didn't realize something, now all you have to do is have your parent go up and complain and that'll fix it, okay? I think that a parent has to, well, I've been part of that. My dad one time when I was in the ninth grade went to school because I never got in the basketball game. And he used to come to watch, but I didn't get in. And they had a meeting with my dad and told him that he should get used to it, that Gary will never be an athlete. And at the end of my senior year, there's a young man, George McGurl and myself were co-athletes of the year. And my dad was selling TVs up at Grants and I went up with this plaque that says I was athlete of the year. And he said, thank you. And he said, come with me. And I said, where are we going? He said, we're gonna to go to the Bradford room and have a cup of coffee, which was the restaurant off of Grant's. And I sat down with him and he looked right at me and he said, thank you. I said, what? He says, you don't know this. He said, but when you were in ninth grade, I had two people tell me that I should face the facts that you'd never be an athlete. I told them they were wrong and we left it just like that. You never knew it. He says, and you just did what all that needed to be done so you're saying it's okay for the parent to go in without telling the child? Don't tell. Yeah, the child should not know. Okay. If he listens to it, sure. just tell them to see if it gets taken care of, if it keeps being over and over. Now you have to go up and just start where you think, you know, you, your parents are smart enough. They know who to talk to first. Where do I go? And you don't want it to be like a witch hunt or anything like that. But if it isn't right, somebody's got to recognize that. So whether it's a teacher, a coach... Any authority a boss, figure? A boss that's out of line? Sure. I would say the same thing. Okay, good life lesson. <laughs> good. So I'd love to start talking about some of your systems that you've developed for all kinds of things like t-ball. And, you know, okay. you've come up with these different ways that you've, you've talked to me about in the past. And I just think they're, you know, they're genius, you know. And, okay. and they're so simple, but... 
So first of all, can we start with T-ball? Because sure. that's, it's, it's very, I love when my son played T-ball. It's a okay. fun time, but the kids <laughs> okay, are all over the place. They're right. running, they're, you know, not paying attention. Your T-ball teams were, from what I understand, pretty organized. Not always. <laughs> well, first of all, when people say, when you get parents that are going to be, devote their time, devote their attention to make things better, okay, it was my job. I mean, I dealt with kindergarten through sixth grade for years and had those children and have the grandkids, seven of them, that you dealt with. So it's just automatic that you have to see some things to make things a little better. So I think, so some people, like, it's not that I have the market cornered on something like that, but when I see it, and this evolved, this wasn't uh, like the first year I coached T-ball, okay? I'm looking, all right, you got all five-year-olds out in the field, okay? First of all, they do not know how to step up to a tee. They go in the outfield, they all get together. They come in, they don't know where anything is. They're talking to their parents, you're trying to organize them, they're swinging a bat all over the place. Well, we started out where every one of the any every one of those kids, I have them go safety, 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 and they yell it safety, safety, safety. So what I did, I, I don't know exactly what order, probably figured out, but I said to the kids, the little ones now, they're only five, that when you play baseball, t-ball, you're either at bat or you're in the field. That's all. There's no in between. When you're at bat, I got an old rope and I laid it down in a line away from home plate. And when they came in, I had them all sit on the rope. So it was like a line, but they sit there. So when they came running in, they sit on the rope. Easy, I look over there, they're all there. And I tell them, you don't go to see your mom and dad now. You just come in and sit on the rope. Now, can't find their gloves. They can't, the mom's got it. Where's your glove? I don't know. I had it, somebody picked it up. All the gloves look the same. So now here's what I got. I got a hula hoop. Okay, just a silly little hula hoop. I put it on the ground by the rope. I said, now when you come running in here, just toss your glove in the hula hoop. So they're all there. It's all there. Now go sit on that rope. So we'd practice. They'd run in, throw the glove, sit on the rope. Then when they went in the outfield, I took uh, the put together mats that go in a yes. little toy room. They, they fit lock, together yes. the interlocking mm -hmm. pieces of mat that are different color, red, blue, yellow, green. Sure. I took each one, which was two by two, and I cut it into four sections. And I went out on the field, and I put, depending on the number of kids I had, I put one of those things where a first baseman stands, one where a second baseman stands, shortstop, third base, outfield, outfield. Pitchers backed them up a little bit. And then I said, now, when you go to the field, you have to go to one of those mats. You can't all go to the same one, and you can't go to the same one twice. So now they'd run to the field, and they'd run in, and they'd stand on their mat, and they were all spread out. And then I'd say, okay, at bat. They'd all come running in. They'd put their glove into the thing. Now, the other thing with that's harder to show without, but when, people, when hitters hit, the hardest thing with those little kids is where do they stand? How do they fix sure, their, their feet? Sure, their feet are all over. They yeah. don't know. They don't know, do I stand with the post in the center of my body? Am I right on the, the home plate? And so I cut a carpet, and I made the carpet two inches wider than 17 inches. I made it 20, 21, right? 
four inches, yeah, 21 inches. And I made it like 15 inches wide and I put the carpet right at the point of the home plate. Then I had the, the athlete, the hitter come up, one foot went on the edge of that carpet, the other foot went there, and now they were away from the plate a little bit. And all I had to say was fix your feet, fix your feet. So they looked down and they knew right where they were. And if they were left-handed, it was the same thing on the other side. So I never messed with their, whether they were right-handed or left-handed. Wow. So we went with the, the blocks out in the field. We went with a hula hoop. We went with the rope. We went with the mat behind. And it's almost like a, a little kit sure. that each coach had. And then the uh, commissioner, Ron Crawford, he was good. He said, that's pretty cool. He went and got everybody those things the next year. So he hands them out with their equipment. And then he has me come up and I show them, you know, so you don't, because they're only trying, they're not professional coaches. And some of them will even say that, you know, like, well, I forget, geez, I didn't think this was collegiate, you know, and, and I went like this. Well, it's easy if you try this, it'll be easier for sure. you. And look, it's just kind of setting boundaries and giving the kids some form of understanding of where they're supposed to be and and there's not the chaos that you would, right, right. You would you see in the would get, and it's yeah. so much fun that um, is great but, i think i think you should market this and package it and and just show because really i mean it would help a lot of people it would help coaches it would help parents yeah just it would it help the kids so. if they call like that's what i'm run. uh well i got a call from the oneana boys club which I think around, I think the things that there's for people to do here, you know, the, the Shenango Valley School District, the Forks, our grandkids, everything is really good. The American Legion, the Babe Ruth teams, you know, the, yeah. the, the things that are available around here, the YMC, I don't want to leave anybody out sure. slighting anybody, but I got a phone call. The, one of the guys that run the Oneonta Boys Club called me, and he played for me. He said, Coach, would you do a baseball camp for us? And I said, yes, I will. And we're going to do it on the 24th of February up at Oneana. There's an hour and a half for seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and then an hour and a half for 10, 11, and 12. Well, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, is the AD and the head baseball coach at Oneana. His name is Joe Hughes. He was chosen the most outstanding third baseman collegiately in the United States, drafted by Baltimore, by the Orioles. He's, the, he's unbelievable. Okay, talk about baseball coaches. He's like a, a Foley or back sure. then, and he was from back then. He just retired. Well, we're going to run the camp together, and we named the camp First Inning. So it's just in a little bit. We're going to touch on everything, and him and I are going to do it together, and that's pretty cool, that's too. That's awesome. So we'll do that. That's great. Um, so you're still active. Yeah, I try, yeah, I try to be. You yes. know, like, uh, I, know, I know that it's, it's – I'm old school. Okay, and I think old school's fine, all right? And I'm not trying to change anybody else to not be old school, but even on a thing like uh, strength, like when you talk about young athletes, they go, if you look at Josh, Jeff, and Rachel, Josh was an athlete, Jeff was an athlete, Rachel was it, tougher than all of us, okay? And people go, how would you do? And I, I attribute one of the things, I bought a chin-up bar for him when they were little. When Josh was in the fourth grade, we were in Easton at Lafayette. I put the chin-up bar in the doorway, and I said, how many chin-ups can you do? And he said, I don't know. And I made sure it was snug and it wasn't gonna fall, hurt him. But I said, how many can you do? And he did two. 
I said, okay, thank you. I said, now when you can do four, you let me know and we'll go to Friendlings and get a hot fudge sundae. I never said another word. I'd come home 11 o'clock at night from coaching or being wherever I was, and all of a sudden he'd go, Dad, I can do it. And I'd go, well, come on, be quiet. Mom's going to have a fit. Well, he'd get up there, and we'd go, and Donna would look at me, and she'd go, Jerry, it's 11 o'clock. And I said, Donna, I told him. So now we'd ride around. Friendly's not open at 11 o'clock in eastern Pennsylvania. We'd ride around, look for Friendly's, but we'd go the next day. And I did that, that chin-up bar. I swear by that. Wow. It's hand strength, arm strength. It's body awareness. It's swinging on it. I've hit my head on it, too. But uh, you know, and I, I think so. It's one of those exercises that you you could start the young kids out, and it's great for building strength because it's all body weight. Yeah, it's all body. Well, that's like it's calisthenics. It's uh, their isotonic exercises using the body's weight for resistance. Right. Push up, sit up, squat, thrust. You know, a box jump, or you know, that's a little more plyometric, but. Those things kids can do. They don't need, if they have the luxury, if they can be club kids and they can go to a workout center and they have the luxury of people running programs for them. But if they don't, push-ups and sit-ups and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and I think strength is a controllable. You know, like certain things aren't, it aren't a controllable. How tall you are is not a controllable. Sure. But how strong you are is definitely a controllable, Absolutely. you know. And, uh, so, um, <laughs> the other thing that I think about was... I, I was so fortunate, like, um, I played, now, listen to this one. The tri I played for the Oneana Indians semi-pro because I'm from Oneana. Ray Stanton. That's was, football. This, this is football, now going back. Ray Stanton says, come down to the Triple Cities Jets. And him and I became friends. And he fascinated me because of the program he ran. And it's when I was going to go to Dean, and I wasn't a quarterback. I didn't know, so I called Ray. We met in Afton at the Afton Inn. And we're sitting down, and uh, he's telling me, uh, because I met him like in the early the mid early 70s, and this is 75 when I'm going to Dean. So we started talking, he explained some things to me, and I said, thank you. But when we were playing, he used to say, hey, come down to, to Binghamton, drive down, play for us. I said, Ray, I'd love to play for you guys down here, but I live in Oneana. I, got, I, I can't live work there every day and not support those guys. Well... Needless to say, if we took our team and the teams other than the Jets and put an all-star team together, we still couldn't beat the Jets. Really? <laughs> they well, they were so good. And you know what? Again, we did the very best we could. We, we play them, and it, they might beat us by, by nine touchdowns. Okay, but nobody was mad. Nobody in our team hated each other. We did the very sure. best we could. You, you had know? fun. Oh, and that's what it was all about. And then from there, that's when I got that opportunity with Green Bay. Okay. Okay. And... Uh, to have so tell us about that. You got um, a phone call? How well, that... yeah, I was, well, we had a good year, and I think it, we didn't play the Jets that year. <laughs> okay, so we had a good year, and I think we were 9-1, and one, and uh, uh, the quarterback was real good. Billy Mulcahy from uh, Delhi was a real good quarterback, and we had a good year, and I had a good year. And we won. Billy had a good year. Well, I'm teaching elementary phys ed one day, and all of a sudden, the PA system Bell went off, ding, ding. Mr. Scott, can you take a phone call? And I go, I can take a phone call in about five minutes. So I, the class got out, took care of that, and I picked up the phone. The operator said, Gary Scott. I said, yes. She said, go ahead, Green Bay. Now, I thought it was one of my friends busting on me, picking on me, you know, just Mr. Big Deal got to be playing. And so it was Green Bay, and they said, we understand you play. They said, how big are you? 
I said I'm six foot one ninety. Well, I was about six foot one eighty three. Okay. <laughs> so I told him one ninety. Well, we sent the general manager Eddie Clough. He sent videos out. Two weeks later, they get a I get a phone call that my contract's in the mail if I want to play for Green Bay. So I said, I'm going. Well, now that was quite big news. Okay. So I go out. I go to Phoenix, Arizona for four days, and I get invited back to camp in at St. Norbert's College back in July. Well, I stayed there. It was, we played, we scrimmaged the Chicago Bears, then we, we played Buffalo, and we played St. Louis Cardinals back then. And I got hurt. I was a spearman on uh, kickoff coverage, punt coverage, and I, Chester Marco kicked a field goal in the Midwest Shriners game, and I went to cover the kickoff, and I never saw a kid coming. And he threw his forearm across my body, and I did pirouettes. I went down, I got hurt. Now, I was married. I had two kids. I'd been teaching for four years. I was 24 years old, 25, 24, because I was 25 the next year when I went to Dean. And I met Coach Devine on the steps of St. Norbert's, and I thanked him for the opportunity and he says, what do you need, Gary? And he had his briefcase and I said, it's about me becoming a coach and a teacher again. He said, what? And I said, I'm gonna be a teacher and a coach again, coach. And wow. I met him on a staircase and, and he goes like this. He says, did you get a bonus? And I said, I did. And I go, I'm going, oh my God, he's gonna ask for it back. And uh, I said, I did. And he said, what was your bonus? And I said, $500. He said, what? And I said, $500. He looked right at me and he said, you'll get more than that. I said, okay, well, my contract, the base contract was $16,000 is all it was. And my signing bonus was 500. My roommate signing bonus was 50,000. I bought a couch at Burns Furniture Shop. He bought a house in Green Bay, all right? But I went that night and uh, went back to the dorm, went back to the dorm where we did St. Norbert's College. And uh, the next day, Coach Devine gave me three checks. He gave me all my cut money. He gave me all the incentive money that my contract, it was a $1,500 check, and then there was a $2,500 check. Wow. And then he cashed one for me so I'd have a small amount of money on the way home. But he just said, put these in the bank. And very honorable. Yeah, a bit, very honorable. Yeah. And uh, so and that was experience. And then other people, then what happens is I come home. I was hurt. I come home. I had just bought a house and I was teaching and I got hurt. And I said, you know what? What if I get cut? What if now I come home? I didn't think that you don't have to worry about that because somebody's going to be there to, to help you out. There's another opportunity. I just said that uh, I'm going to go home and be a teacher again. And when the paper called, all the time they wanted to know how camp was. And it was during the NFL strike. So obviously we got a little more of a look because we were players that came in against the strike. I see. And uh, I can remember that when the paper called, they'd ask me how things were going and what was it like. And they were all excited. And all I wanted to know is how my kids were doing at swimming lessons. Yeah. That's all I cared about. Yeah. So I ended up, uh, coming home, okay, and on uh, an and a exit interview, the uh, general manager of Green Bay, and I want to say his name, but I forgot it, and I know it, but I'm not sure if, if it's the one I want. He says, uh, in, at, and there was press there, and Dan Devine was there, and 
the press said, Gary, um, you're going back to Oneana be a teacher and a coach again. And I said, yes. And he said, are you going to play football again? I said, well, if you look at my locker, in my locker in Lambeau Field, there was MacArthur Lane, John Brockington was right next to me. You know, I'm going, wow. and my number was 32. I go, how? So anyways, he says, are you going to, uh, are you going to play any more football? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you something. It was the press. I said, when I leave today and I fly out of here, I said, if you go to my locker in, in this locker room, you'll see a pair of football shoes in my locker. The guy said to me, all right. He said, does that mean you'll never play football again? I said, no, that means if I play again, I got to buy another pair of shoes. <laughs> he says, thanks. And that was the end of the, the, end of the interview. You know, so, and then uh, that was right there that's so that's great yeah it was it was neat it was a great experience it was uh sounds yeah. like it not too many people have that opportunity oh, experience so that's, it's something that uh that you'll remember yeah and you know the thing is that that's helped like when if somebody if you're applying for something and somebody looks at your personal achievements and they see what you've done and and then they look and see sign a contract with green bay in 74 that's just something that you sure. can't take away they want to meet you that's and right. then once they meet you now. You go. That's what the good thing is. Get your foot in the door. Yeah. You'd be all set. You know. So, so yeah. I wanna. I wanna ask you about your spirit, your positive energy that you have. Have you always been like this? Is this is this you since you were a kid? Has it been exemplified over time? Um, you have a great spirit about you, and 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 so does Josh. I mean, that's yeah. what I love about Josh. Is this guy. You know, he gives you a hug, he gives you a handshake, <laughs> right. he's got the big hands yeah. like your dad, yeah. and yeah. you guys just have all this energy. Um, I think we got a lot to be thankful for. That's what I think it is. And Jeff's just like, Josh a different breed of cat. Jeff, and, I'll tell you, Jeff is exactly like me. Do you know, do you know Jeff? I don't know Jeff. Jeff, I know Jeff. When you see Jeff, Jeff looks like me. We're built the same. Anybody, if you ever said, well, my son and I look alike, or you and your mom look alike, it's uncanny how much we look alike okay we walk alike we talk alike we have the same voice inflictions well I can remember Josh was the one that was the first team all in New York State he's the one with Ramey and uh, McCoy and Smith that were the quarterback choices here he you didn't have to worry about him he's the one that went to northern Michigan on, oh that was another story too about how he got out there because he went there too well Jeff and I, we worked hard for everything we had. Well, one day, Jeff is at Cortland, and Jeff didn't play football his freshman year, talked to me about it, and said, Dad, I'd like to play my sophomore year. I said, okay. He says, my friends all do it. And I said, well, good. Well, Jeff plays one year at JV, and then he played three years on the varsity as a free safety and strong safety. So they were playing Ithaca for the Cortica Jug, well, at the end of the game, Cortland won that game, presented the game ball to Jeff. I got it home on a chef, shelf. And at the end of the game, I walked down, okay? Jeff had a good game. I walked down to the field, and I stay away. I don't go on the field. I stay in the bleachers. I tap my head to him. I tell him I love him and whatever. Anyways, when he came up to me right after that game, I said, Jeff, if you could pick one day of your life to have the best performance, the best accomplishments that you've ever had, what day would you pick 
And he looked right at me and he said, today and I did it. And I said, you're right, you did. And that's how Jeff was, you know, and that's how Jeff is now, Jeff. Yeah. But we had that same positive. I think there's another side, but we don't like to bring that out. Sure, you sure. Know? But just like you, you're upbeat. That's why it's so much, <laughs> it's really neat, you know. But uh, Well, look, here, this this is awesome. We could be here all day talking okay. about these great stories. I love it. Okay. Um, unfortunately, we, we, we have to get on to our next interview, but... Um, I have a couple of last questions. Go. First one, if you could take out your cell phone right now and call the 20-year-old Gary, what would you say to him? Be patient. Yep, that's what I'd say. Be patient. Things are going to be fine. Interesting. Yep. The last guest I had said the exact same thing. Okay. And I think it's a great life lesson because when we're young, we're, we're always wanting to do things quicker, faster. Yeah. But um, I was telling you about that David Meltzer, who I interviewed yesterday. He's from Los Angeles, um, you know, entrepreneur, has a great sports agency with Warren Moon. Okay. He was telling me the exact same thing about patience. And he says, look, he says, I give the example of a bamboo tree. It takes four years for the root system to grow into the ground to get strong. So don't be so anxious because on year five, then it'll sprout and that thing could grow to 80 feet. Yeah. So be patient Give with yourself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and that's my thing was, I always felt that I had to make the difference right now. You know, like, and that bothered me. If I, I didn't want, I didn't want to listen. I guess we've got two ears and one mouth. We should be better listeners than we are talkers. But I wanted, like when I was, hired to do things. Like when I went to Ithaca, I became the head football coach at Ithaca High School. Two years, we didn't have a lot of success, but we were making a difference. But I couldn't understand that. I thought, hey, I'm coming in and it's gotta be now. And that's, I was harder on myself. Be nicer to myself, maybe, yeah, okay. Not, maybe not like myself anywhere, just be a little nicer. Understand that things, that things happen. Sure. And I've got two things that I think about. Um, one, if you're going to be successful at anything, no matter what it is in the world, a physician, an athlete, a teacher, a coach, a parent, you need to have three things. You need to be willing, you need to be able, and you must be capable. If any one of those three things are missing, it's going to be real difficult. Mm -hmm. But if It's going to be difficult anyways. Mm -hmm. But if you're willing, like if I stopped you in the hall and I said... Um, I'd like to have you, Roger, come out for baseball. You were a baseball player, yeah. but I haven't played since 10th grade, Coach. I'm a senior. I said, but I want you to come out. And you say, I don't want to. Okay, so you're, you're not willing. Not willing. Mm -hmm. If I, you say, Coach, you don't understand, I want to come out. But I dislocated my shoulder last year. Now I'm not capable. And the able part comes in where you say, Coach, come here. I'd love to play for you, but my mom and dad got divorced last year. There's three little kids, and I gotta be home every day at three o'clock. I'm not able, or mom can't get me here now. I don't have a way to and from practice that I live up by the Bestel Hills Country Club. I can't get down every that. day, coach. So, so those three. Those three things. Mm -hmm. If you've got those three, you got a great chance, but you have to have three. And the other thing I can finish up if you want me to, life's a game of inches. I would say this. Add one inch to your smile, hold your head one inch higher, and add one inch to your step. 
when you walk. Wow. And that's how I would say that's what you do right there. Love that. Okay, one last question. Oh, and first okay. of all, thank you so oh, much thank for you. being here. This thank is great. You. People are going to love this. Okay. I'm sure they're going to want more of you, so we'll have you back. Oh, I'll come back. <laughs> I'll come back. I'd love to come back. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to come back and discuss things with you like uh, peer pressure, personality development, okay. uh, mom and dad relationships. I'd like to come back and... Let's do that. I'd love Let, to. Let's make a point you, to do you that. You tell me when you want it. Absolutely. Uh, okay, yeah. but one last question. Sure. What do you want your legacy to be? What would I like my legacy to be? Um, knowing that if you need me to help you do something, I'll help you. Or legacy would be that if you needed help doing something, I'd be there to help you, okay? Awesome. And altruistically, too, I, wouldn't, I don't expect anything back. I just, yeah, that's, I think, and uh, I'm probably going to drive home now and think about that. I <laughs> <laughs> said, well, you dummy, why don't you say something else? But, you know, that's, I think, uh, and I guess maybe another legacy. I'm not a good man. I'm not a bad man. I'm just a man, okay? And uh, I try to do the things that I can do. There's, there's certain things that if I could do them again, I might make some tweaks, some changes, you know, but for the most part, and uh, I think that you got to have a wife like my wife to put up yeah. with us. We all say that, Absolutely. you know, but. Absolutely. Yeah. Gary Scott, hey. coach, thank you so much. Welcome to the American Real thank Family. Thank you. That was, thank you. That was fun thank for you. me. Yep. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. At American Real, we're on a mission to help as many people around the world fulfill their dreams and obtain their goals. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. And speaking of podcasting, our next course will be starting soon. So if you're interested in launching your own podcast, join me and podcast your passion. I'll take you through my eight-week course where I'll mentor you to build a world-class podcast. I'm only taking on a small group of people who want to share their passion through broadcasting, where I'll have you up on iTunes and YouTube within weeks so you can podcast your passion. Click on the link below for more information. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.